The southern United States takes some getting used to, especially if you haven't grown up there. There is a palpable sense that the horror beneath the civilized veneer hasn't ever been exercised, and it may never be. It has simply been swept under the rug, forced from the minds of Southerners. Faulkner wrote about it, Flannery O'Connor. Randall Keenan did so with his incredible novel, A Visitation of Spirits. Film and stage, too. A Streetcar Named Desire. Jordan Peele's Lovecraft Country promises to make us remember. The South is rife with the festering of sores, with systemic pain and infection. And if the poorly placed bandages are torn off too soon, the wounds, not allowed to properly heal, will open once more. Soon after moving to Georgia, my wife and I bought a home. The previous owners had lived and died in that house, tending to its needs, though not updating anything since they bought it in the 1960s. We immediately began the process of updating. We tore out walls and sinks and ceiling panels, built fences and replaced appliances. It was a never-ending process, but we eventually focused our attention on the unfinished half-basement. The space looked as if the previous husband had made this his workshop. There were panels of drywall holding wire rack, old mason jars of screws and ten-penny nails. Beyond these wooden dividers were signs of other decades, other times. We found a working refrigerator, a school desk, though we had been told by neighbors that the couple never had any children, and furniture that looked straight out of a tiki bar. Some we refinished and kept, some we sold, some we drug out to the street for garbage day. But one thing left us feeling more than a little uneasy. A manuscript. A stack of curling yellowed pages half an inch thick. Flipping through the pages, it became clear this wasn't something that had been published. There was no title, and no author listed. It just started with Chapter One. But the strangest part of all was how similar the characters, the house, the situations were to our own. It was uncanny. My wife was immediately wary of the document and went straight upstairs to get a bundle of sage and some matches. She told me we should burn it. Instead, I'm going to read it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 1 Kate set the last box on the kitchen counter, pushing it against the rest. Her husband, Denny, came in after her and shut the door behind him, locking the summer heat out. That wasn't so bad, was it? Barry asked. He just sat on a leather couch and threw his feet onto the coffee table, nudging various smaller boxes out of the way. Denny's father was tall and thin, pushing 70, and had been in more armed conflicts and motorcycle accidents than the average man but still retained a surprising level of strength and stamina. His wife, Joan, wasn't nearly as agile. She was already seated on the opposite end of the sectional couch, posture rigid, with a sweet smile on her face. A sufferer of near-constant backaches, Joan helped with the littler items until a grimace settled into her features, and the other three insisted she sit the rest out. She'd been ditter-dotting around the cluttered living room since the sun started its slow descent in the western Georgian sky. The light had blinked away just as Barry tugged down the U-Haul's roll-up door. Now, as he sat on the couch, Barry went on. 
More than two Coleman's living under the same roof again. Hasn't been that way since you were a kid, Den. Denny popped the cap off a beer while Kate filled a red Solo cup from the refrigerator spigot. The couple then joined the elder Coleman's in the living room. Kate took the small blue recliner while Denny perched on the edge of the fireplace's brick hearth. You say it like it's been an eternity. I'm only 36, Pops. You left as soon as you could, Joan said, still smiling. She had a full head of amber hair, wild and curly. Jenny always joked that she looked like she was in a hair metal band. Not because of you, I just had things to do, Denny said. On either side of him, large cubicle shelving housed the world's heaviest iPod, Denny's extensive record collection. And come on, we talk, like, every day. This was true. When Kate first began dating Dennis Coleman, she was a little wary of the close relationship he had with his family, his mother especially. Kate talked to her own blood relations sporadically, on high holidays and birthdays. There were so many in her extended family, and gossip traveled so fast, she got updates from whomever called. And their conversations were mostly rehearsed, a one-act play that had been performed many, many times. Denny, however, had his folks. That was it. There were estranged sisters and cousins, but for the most part, they were a trio. Part of it was that Denny had fallen off the map for a while in his 20s, getting into drugs in the gutters of Seattle, so it was like he was now making up for lost time, like he owed his mom because she kept it together for his first 18 years. Kate got over the closeness eventually. Anyway, all those lady magazines tell you that the best way to know how a partner will treat you is to study his relationship with his mother. Over time, the close connection began to feel like something Kate had been missing. She began talking with Joan almost as much as Denny himself. Down the hall was a slow, harmonized whimper. Damn, they've been in there a while. Denny stood up and left the room. There was the rattling of clicking nails on the hardwood floor. Then Kate and Denny's dogs exploded into the living room, sliming everyone as they passed. Barry, who'd since shut his eyes and let his head fall back, popped up to give each dog some head scratches, then settled back again. His steam had run out. The furry pair were sisters, rescues from a rough situation back in Florida where Joan and Barry had just moved from. They were yellow labs with an absentee father, and they had a hound dog look to them. Denny referred to them as abracadabradors when strangers asked. Echo, Roxy, come on, Denny said, standing by the open sliding glass door. Outside. After large gulps of water, the twins tumbled out the door. Denny followed, lighting a cigarette, smoke lingering in the opening like an afterthought. We can't tell you how thankful we are for this, Joan said after a moment. Of course, Kate said, it's nothing. It was more than nothing. Kate had been mentally preparing herself for this extended visit, this transitional layover, for weeks. Joan shuffled in her seat, her back obviously hurting. I know how this could be, how it might feel. Another woman coming into the house, barking orders, doing things her way. I know it's uncomfortable, but it won't be for too long. Kate was used to this. Denny's mom was a big personality, talking with her hands and making everyone in the room turn to her. She also had an old-school way of viewing gender roles. Not exactly the 1950s atomic family, but close enough. The fact that Kate was also the sole breadwinner had to be troubling for her, but she never said it. At first, when they were still only dating, Joan would come in and rearrange the kitchen appliances and Kate's underwear drawers, saying that her way would work better, be more streamlined. Trust me, she would say. I've been doing this a lot longer than you. All of this was coming from a good place. 
but it had led to fights and hurt feelings and the eventual intervention of Denny and his father. Ask first. That was the new rule. And in the months leading up to the move, this was reiterated many times. There was, it seemed, an understanding between the two most important women in Denny's life. Since the wedding, they joked about it. I'll be on my best behavior, Joan said. I didn't even do the dishes in the sink. Kate smiled, feeling weakness and aches seeping into her muscles. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody would mind, Kate said, trailing off. Say no more. With that, Joan was off the couch and leaving the room. This was followed by the sound of clinking glassware and running water. Kate looked over at Barry, his eyes still closed, and felt her own exhaustion taking over. They'd started out around four that afternoon. Barry had driven the moving truck, his Corvette on a trailer behind, while Joan followed in her SUV. From Pensacola, Florida to Augusta, Georgia, the trip took them just over eight hours. Atlanta had its usual amount of traffic. After a bite to eat and praying that the July heat would dissipate some, the group unloaded a third of the truck, mostly essentials, luggage and various electronics, or items Joan was gifting to her son and daughter-in-law. The rest would be taken to the storage unit they'd already reserved a mile away from where their new house was being built. She could be completely zapped, tired to the bones, but Kate knew she'd have to shower before getting in bed. The sheets didn't deserve her stink. She was about to stand when Barry's voice gave her a start. Really, he said, it shouldn't be too long. If that damn virus would have stayed in China, we'd be in a new place tonight. Denny's father wasn't a racist, but sometimes his choice of words might make people think he was. The outbreak of a new strain of super flu had originated somewhere outside of Shanghai and quickly spread around the globe, leading to shutdowns and closures across the board. In addition to affecting nearly every American in some way during the first half of 2020, it had brought the construction industry to a grinding halt. All industries, in fact, had essentially flatlined. As the country headed into a new election season, things were opening up again, even as new cases and death tolls continued to rise. Business was attempting to return to normal, and workers, maintaining a safe distance from each other, were back at the rambling woodland property where Denny's parents planned to live out their golden years but it would be at least another month until they got the keys. We're happy to have you, Kate said. I'm happy. I've got plenty of recipes I want to try. Most of them desserts. Kate was an amateur chef while Barry had traded his addiction to alcohol to that of chocolate two decades before. He said, now you've got my attention. They both laughed softly. After a minute, the bustle from the kitchen quieted. Barry said, I think it's time we retire. Then, over his shoulder, he yelled, Come on, wife. Time for bed. Barry stood and went over to the sliding glass door. Joan joined him and they both said goodnight to their son. Joan then reached out to Kate, who stood and fell into the hug. Joan said, Thank you. Love you. Love you both, Kate said. When Joan let go, Kate went to hug Barry, who responded with an awkward sideways half-hug, like a boy moving in for the slow dance with his middle school date. Kate went around the house, flipping off lights and double-checking the locks on the front and carport doors. This was a habit she developed during her undergrad years, having lived with roommates in less-than-savory neighborhoods in Milwaukee. But she was especially conscious of it since moving into the first house she owned. Although their house sat near the top of the highest hill in the neighborhood, the corner of Muldoon and Bradbury Streets was above grade, giving passersby unobstructed views into the living room, kitchen, and smaller bedrooms, if shades weren't drawn. 
Since moving in, Kate tried to convince herself it was these angles that made her feel as if she were on display, as if she were being watched. Kate joined Denny on the screened-in porch. He had another cigarette dangling from his mouth, eyes squinted, and a pair of wood slats in his hands. He was holding them together in an L shape. As she approached, he pulled down the headphones so they rested around the nape of his neck. Distorted guitars and the machine gun repetition of a double bass drum spilled from the pair of tiny speakers. What are you working on now? Kate asked. She pinched the cigarette, took a drag, then put it back between Denny's lips. The ladies are so tall now. I'd like their bowls to be a little higher off the ground. Make them more comfortable. With all the shutdowns, Denny had been laid off from his job. Just a month before, both of them were English professors and had moved down to Georgia to take positions. You go where the jobs are. Enrollment was down, so his department had to downsize. Kate's institution, instead, gave her a raise to take on more classes and responsibility. The couple saw this as an opportunity for Denny to get back to work on his novel but he'd been more wrapped up in house projects than sitting in front of his computer. Kate didn't care. Denny seemed to be happy. He was distracted. Distraction was a good thing in the house. He with his home improvements and she with teaching online classes. Both kept them from feeling the steady undercurrent of disquiet that seemed to permeate their first home. Denny's parents would be an even bigger distraction. Kate thought she might be able to forget the uneasiness altogether. What a good dad! Kate said. From somewhere out in the darkened backyard, the dogs barked, as if in agreement. This lady needs a shower, then bed, Kate said. Should I bring the girls with me? I'm going to wind down for a bit, work on this. The girls can give me a hand. Kate said, I'm sure, eight of them. You go pamper yourself, put on one of those weird face masks. They aren't weird, they're Korean. Yeah, they're made from leprechaun pubes and unicorn tears, Denny said. That's weird. Tea tree and snail oil, Kate said. Same thing, Denny said, smiling. Kate slapped his leg, then leaned over and kissed his bearded cheek. Don't stay up too late. You gotta help your dad with the rest of the truck tomorrow. With the sliding glass door shut behind her, the house was quiet. The machinations of their house guests' bedtime preparation had ceased, and their door was closed. Kate tiptoed down the hall and into the master bedroom. Kate reveled in the stillness. Her husband liked to have some sort of audio playing constantly. He had installed little speakers all around the house, and if he had his way, they would always be playing something. Music, or an audiobook, or a podcast. It was as if he couldn't handle the quiet. As if he spent too much time without the inundation of sound, he might actually have to listen to his own thoughts. Kate lit candles and went into the bathroom. Waiting for the shower to warm up, Kate set a folded towel on the closed lid of the toilet and appraised herself in the mirror. She was on the shorter side, about three inches over five foot, and while she had just entered the dreaded territory of her thirties, she didn't hate her figure. She wasn't model skinny and could probably benefit from toning up a few areas, but she was happy with herself, and so was Denny. He always said he loved her body because she looked like a real woman. The real woman went around the corner and stepped in front of the stream of water, letting it drench her before reaching any of the bottles she had stationed in the stall. Kate could feel the stress softening, her muscles loosening, not just from lifting and toting boxes in the house, but from the past few months. The lead-up to Denny's parents' arrival, coupled with the complete deluge of emails and correspondence associated with teaching remotely, had forced the cords and tendrils throughout her body to feel as if they had been scrunched up into thousands of tiny, knotted knuckles.
She thought that she could stay beneath the waterfall until she fell asleep. The lull was cut short when she heard the bathroom door roll open. One of the many home improvement projects Denny had tackled, to varying degrees of success, was to install sliding barn doors in the master and guest bathrooms. Since they'd moved to Georgia and bought the house, and especially since losing his job, various rooms and sections of the house were torn apart, then put back together in an attempt to update the home from the original 1960s palette. Kate heard the door come to its end of its track and thud softly against the rubber stopper. This was followed by a couple of footsteps. Then the familiar clink as the toilet seat was raised to rest against the tank. Denny, coming in to relieve himself. The sound of a second stream of liquid floated above the shower, heavy and forceful. Kate giggled. Babe, you sound like a racehorse. How long have you been holding that? There was no response, save for the sound of his urine splashing into the bowl, which somehow seemed to be growing louder. She began rubbing shampoo into the roots of her hair. Babe? Kate asked. Still nothing. A familiar note of irritation bloomed within her. Coming in here, ignoring her while he was pissing like a farm animal? But then she remembered they had house guests, so he was probably freeing up the other bathroom. And I bet you're not responding because you've got your headphones on, she said. So, basically, I can say anything I want. Like, I've been giving this a lot of thought. I really think the earth is flat. I know we had a good laugh about all those crazies, but honey, I think I am one of those crazies. Kate wasn't expecting a response. And didn't get one. Also, I didn't want to tell you this, but I had a penis until about a month before we met. I lost it in an underground cage fighting incident. Instead of an implant, I just said, fuck it. Make me a woman. My boobs, well, these babies are a whole other story. More footsteps, then the sound of the sink faucet. Kate began rinsing at her hair, the water filling her ears and drowning out the world momentarily. So, are you cool with that? I mean, nothing's different. Kate was trying her hardest to sound serious, but laughter was creeping out. I used to be Keith, and now I'm Kate. I love you just the same. This time, she couldn't hear anything from beyond the shower curtain. Denny had come and gone, blissfully unaware in headphone world. And he hadn't flushed the toilet. Growing up in California, Dennis Coleman was taught to conserve water wherever he could. Yellow, let it mellow. Brown, flush it down. Kate hated it. Sometimes she felt like she was forever holding down the toilet handle. Hair rinsed and finished, Kate went to work on her various other rituals. Shaving her legs, exfoliating all the soft surfaces, scrubbing down all the rough ones, and it wasn't until her final rinse that a thought occurred to her. Maybe Denny never left. Kate's husband had an annoying habit of jumping out and scaring her whenever the opportunity arose. A confirmed horror film lover... He often waited behind doors or under the bed, and he lunged at her, crumpling Kate into a shrieking, quivering mass while the event sent him into convulsions of laughter. Maybe that was it. Maybe he was waiting just outside the shower, holding his breath until she slid open the curtain, waiting to roar at her. Kate saw herself slipping and falling into the fetal position. Denny would fight through giggles while lifting her out of the shower, then talk about the look of shock on her face for the next few days. Not if I get him first, she thought. They always used the left side to enter and exit the shower, as it was closer to the sink. So she finished rinsing, then tore open the curtain from the right side, yelling, Boo! But he wasn't there. As she stepped out, Kate caught the whisper of a shadow, the heel of a foot disappearing through the doorframe. That's right, 
she said. Run, I'm coming for you. Kate, dripping wet, hurried into the master bedroom. Again, she saw him leaving, his shadow sliding down the hallway, the sound of his footsteps fading away. The glass sliding door opened, then shut. Remembering how naked she was, Kate muttered, Really, babe? We have guests. She listened to the steady drip, drip of water falling from her body under the hardwood before retreating to the back of the house. In the bathroom, she saw the toilet seat was still up, but the water in the bowl was clear. How had she not heard him flush it? Her towel was missing from the lid as well. She spun around and saw it unfolded, crumpled at the foot of the bed, like it had been thrown there after use. You're going to take my towel too? Kate dried off, then wrapped the towel around her head. Donning a robe, she padded down the hallway, through the living room, and went out onto the porch. Denny wasn't there. She could hear rustling downstairs in the basement her husband had co-opted into a workshop. The dogs blasted up the back stairs, licked some of the residual water off Kate's legs, and stuck their noses under her robe. Stop it, perverts! They ran inside and down the hall. Denny had installed solar lights at the edges of the wooden staircase, but the minimal illumination still made Kate cautious as she went down toward the pool area. A gate separated the pool from the sand-filled pump and open basement door. Soft, incandescent lights spilled out onto the concrete. Kate went in, saying, Real nice, creep. Taking my towel? You trying to give your parents an eyeful? The room was empty. Drawers of Denny's big red toolbox hung open. A lawnmower caked with dried grass sat in the corner. The warped plywood walls seemed to leer and the slender tubes of the shop lights hummed. Kate could also make out the sound of the Labrador's nails clacking on the master bedroom floor directly above her. Then, the tinkle of the gate latch. Denny, ducking his head under the low basement door, shuffled into the room, beer in one hand, a bag of chemicals in the other. When he saw Kate standing there, he dropped the bag and lurched backward, a hand clutched to his chest. Shit, you scared me. Scared you, Kate said. You trying to give me a heart attack? Denny said, taking off his headphones. You know I'm not a young man anymore. You're a little escape act from the bathroom, might say otherwise. I haven't seen you move that fast in a while. Setting his beer down, Denny began putting tools away in various drawers. What are you talking about, babe? Okay, Kate said, mimicking Denny's deeper voice. Just don't leave the door open while your parents are here, and leave me towelless. She pulled open the robe and shook her hips. This is for your eyes only. What door? Denny asked, not turning around. She was getting irritated again. She cinched the folds of her robe and said, Come on, the joke's over. I just don't want to walk out of the shower and have your mom standing there, or your dad. Denny slid the drawer closed and turned to look at her. Honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're trying to tell me that you didn't just come upstairs and, and try to scare me? No, I... Then scurry off down the hall? First off, Denny said, closing the gap between them. I never scurry. He put his arms around her, the musk of his sweat mingling with the herbal aromas from the fresh soaps on her skin. Second, I wasn't trying to scare you. I haven't even been inside since you said goodnight. I was out back throwing some more shock into the pool. Sure, I believe you, Kate said. Denny kissed her cheek, his beard tickling her nose. I swear, that pool will be less green in the morning. Of all the problems in the house, the pool was the worst. They could never seem to keep it clean, no matter how much they brushed and vacuumed and drugged it. Don't change the subject, she said. Just close the door, that's all I ask. 
Denny let her go and reached for his pack of cigarettes. Dude, really, I've been outside. He was an awful liar. Whenever he made little tapping noises in the bed frame, and the sound unnerved Kate enough to wake up or roll over and ask him if he were doing it, he could barely contain the grin while he professed innocence. There was no trace of a smile now. Either he'd gotten better at lying, or he wasn't. Either way, she was getting annoyed. She went to leave the basement and then stopped in the doorway. Then who came into the bathroom while I was showering? Your dad? He can be strange, but not that strange. So, if it wasn't you or your dad, and I'm sure your mom doesn't go around peeing standing up, then who? Her husband grinned. Maybe it was Ghost Denny. Shut up. Kate went out and up the stairs, calling over her shoulder. Come to bed soon. Don't stay down there all night again. A few months before, Kate was convinced that she'd seen Denny walk down the hallway while she was in the guest room, and she followed him asking a question, only to find the back of the house empty. She'd had a moment of dread. Like many others the house had been providing since they'd moved in. But then, associating the unease with her own husband, forced the sinking sensation of an oncoming panic attack. She'd run out to find Denny underneath his jeep in the carport. The whole experience had Kate reading up on spirits and trying to figure out the history of the house, because the unease dissipated while the hours spent on work increased. Over time, it became sort of an inside joke. Whenever she lost track of her keys, her cell phone, or sunglasses, which, mind you, was a near-daily event, Denny would blame the disappearance on Kate's ghost friend, or Ghost Denny. It was almost enough to calm her down about everything she'd been feeling, almost enough to dissolve the unease Kate Coleman had been feeling in the house. Almost. Both dogs were already asleep on the bed when Kate got upstairs, sprawled out, in the most inconvenient positions. She brushed her teeth and rolled them over so she could get under the covers. Though she was sure it had been Denny fucking with her, there was still a palpable sense of unease in her body, making her fingers tingle and her legs grow restless. The soft breathing of the dogs, the shudder of their paws as they dreamed of walks on thrown balls, helped some. The warmth and closeness of their bodies helped more. It was also comforting to know Denny's very rational and very religious parents were right down the hall. But still, Kate was on edge. She'd wish Denny was in bed with her. She reached out for Roxy and Echo, resting her elbow on one furry shoulder and her palm on another furry belly. With her free hand, she scrolled through foreign comics on her phone. She regulated her breathing, and soon, even though her racing thoughts made it seem impossible, Kate was asleep. Denny came in sometime later. Kate half woke to the shift in the bed's balance and the dog's irritated groans. But it wasn't until a few hours later that she opened her eyes. Nothing in particular had roused her. Denny wasn't snoring, and being a light sleeper, Kate was sure no sound had broken her dreams. All was quiet in the house. And that feeling of dread was back. Both Denny and Kate battled varying degrees of anxiety, mostly brought on originally by the PhD program where they had met. But years of counseling and meditation had brought most of the larger attacks under control. Sometimes, though, Kate woke in a panic, the familiar clutch at her heart taking over. It had been happening most often since she moved to Georgia, since signing the papers on their house. Kate quickly ran through some of her triggers. She'd responded to all of her recent student emails. She'd been in touch with her boss. The electric bill was paid. She wasn't hungover. What was it? Kate looked at the digital display in the nightstand. 3.14 a.m., 
Big changes. Big events, Kate thought. The voice of their counselor, Jeanette, filling her head. The loss of a job, a death of a close friend or relative, alterations in living situations. All of these sort of massive shifts had the tendency to push both Kate and Denny into old routines, old thinking patterns. Denny's parents moving in, even for a short period of time, would fall into that category. That would threaten the balance that she had been trying to maintain. This notion had a soothing effect. Finding the root of anxiety, the source, always lulled Kate into a sense of security. And even right then, it was enough that she felt she could close her eyes, roll over, and fall back asleep. And she was about to do so when one fleeting thought urged her to look over at Denny and the girls, to make sure they were all okay, still breathing. Her eyes were trying to adapt to the dark, but she could make out Denny's head on the white pillow. Kate touched him, felt his warmth. Pressed against him was Roxy, her fur coat slightly softer than her sister's. Kate moved her feet around, feeling for Echo, who liked to curl up at the end of the bed and found her normal spot empty. Kate sat up and looked around the room. Echo was just beyond the foot of the bed, standing in the middle of the room, lit by the faint glow of a nearby streetlight. "'What you doing?' Kate whispered. The dog didn't move. In fact, she seemed frozen in place. As Kate's eyes continued to adjust, she could see Echo's normally floppy ears were upright and rigid. Her back was straight, unmoving. Her tail, constantly wagging at lightning speed, was now tucked between her legs. Kate's teeth vibrated, unease giving way to something closer to fear. Echo? What is it? The dog stayed still, and Kate could see that Echo's eyes were locked on the open doorway of the bathroom. Kate followed the gaze, trying to discern anything inside the darkened room. The beat of her heart was ramping up. The bathroom seemed darker than usual. Neither her nor Denny were nightlight people, but the space felt different. Deeper. Blacker. Blacker than the shadows around the bed. Is that a silhouette? Is someone standing in the bathroom? No. Couldn't be. There's no way someone could get into their room without her hearing it. The sound of the wood slats on the floor expanding with the cold air of the air conditioning was enough to rouse her. In the stillness, Kate could feel, she could hear the sound of her own blood pumping in her ears. Echo, baby, are you okay? Again, the dog didn't turn around, didn't budge. Kate watched the hair bristle and stand tall on the back of her neck. Then, sound. The low, almost imperceptible throatiness of a growl building within Echo's ribcage. Still, her fixation on the bathroom didn't waver. Kate couldn't handle this. She felt torn in two directions. She didn't want to get out of the bed, the perceived safety of the covers, but she couldn't bear to watch Echo's statuesque posture. The dog seemed to be bracing herself, ready to be attacked. But there was nothing there, just a dark room. No, not just a dark room, a very dark room, an impossibly dark room. But dark or not, there wasn't anything in there for Echo to be afraid of. Or was there? Something must have spooked the vibrating dog. A rattle in the water pipes, metal expanding in the air ducts. Something quiet enough that only canine ears could pick it up. Kate shoved her own fear into concern. Or tried to. She was a dog mom. She needed to help her puppy. She threw the covers off her legs and swung out of bed. 
As she patted around to where Echo stood, the growl intensified. It's okay, girl. Nothing to be scared of. This old house makes some weird noises. Hearing herself say the words, Kate wondered how much of that was for the dog and how much was for herself. It's just the house settled... Kate stopped herself. She hated that phrase, the sense of impermanence, as if homes and their occupants could never fully settle in or feel stable. The bathroom was darker still, like how one might think of a black hole, suction becoming not so much a color, but the absence of any shade, the absence of anything the human eye could see, and it seemed to be pulling her in. As Kate moved closer, Echo finally broke her rigidity and got in front of Kate, sitting down on her toes. The growl continued. When Kate took another step, Echo was up and blocking her path again. She's trying to keep me from going in there, Kate thought. And if her teeth weren't clenched, she would have reached down to pet the dog, tell her what a good girl she was. But Kate's only goal was to reach inside and flip on the bathroom light. Only two more steps. Echo's barricade shifting with each. Then Kate raised her arm. For an instant, she pictured her hand being swallowed, like plunging her fist into thick motor oil, then the rest of her being pulled in and submerged. But there was nothing. Her fingers danced over the drywall until she found the switch. She flipped it, and the room was bathed in the soft glow of the Edison lights over the sink. No black hole, no ghost Denny. No voodoo boogeyman here to eat Echo and her sister. Just the pile of dirty clothes she'd taken off before her shower. The unease began to drain. The grip on her heart lessened. Her stomach uncoiled. Kate took a deep breath and went over to pick up the clothes. She tossed them in the hamper under the sink, flipped off the light and said, See, honey, nothing to wor- But Echo was no longer stationed outside the door. In the residual shine of the streetlight, Kate could see Denny on his stomach and Roxy still against his side. Echo was curled up on Kate's pillow, eyes closed. All three were snoring. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Ghost Modernist. This is a re-recorded version of the first chapter of The House Unsettling. When I recorded that first season, I knew nothing about sound quality or studio setup. And I still don't but I think this might sound a little better. If you're enjoying the show, please follow on whatever platform you're using and rate and review The Ghost Modernist on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen on that platform, it does help get this into the ears of more listeners. The theme song was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?